Welcome everybody to Learning with Bell Vista Studios. This is our podcast where we basically get, it's a selfish podcast because it's always people that we're curious about that we get to bring on and learn from. And today I have a guest, James. And James, I want to recognize you before I begin. Number one is you have been a lover of our content for a long, long time and you are so interactive and generous and kind with the words that you share and everything that you put out there and that means a lot to the team and I that people are actually like listening which is really really awesome so thank you like this way I know I've said it to you multiple times thanks for choosing to learn with us but here thank you for choosing to learn with us but the second part of that leads on I only like see really what you interact with and share from our content but what it's not just a a share and a like, I really, really see you think about what we've put out there and then transfer it into something you're learning that you've seen somewhere else, a project. You're always like, yeah, constructing it or linking it or aligning it to other things. And that for me seems to what I witness is like almost daily. I'm probably sure it's multiple times a day. Like I'm not in your knickers knowing everything that you're doing but the fact that I just think that's an exceptional kind of learning appetite and your learning would be so compounded by that and I really just actually you probably could share on that because there's lots of people that say should I get the degree the certification or whatever but I would say that your learning is so compounded every day and I'm also a bit like that where I'm like what can I learn from this to apply today rather than something I got a certificate or whatever on six years ago, you know. But anyway, I wanted to recognize those two things about you first. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, And I have to say, although it is my nature, it's in my nature to Mm. do that linking, do that extrapolating, uh, to engage um, with things that I find fascinating and or curious or um, powerful, Um, I have rarely encountered someone who was so willing on her own behalf on and on behalf (laughs) of her team to, uh, to acknowledge that sort of thing. I mean, you've, you've literally taken comments that I've made online or things that I've included in webinars of mine, and you've thrown them into your newsletters that you've sent out to all and sundry. In fact, I think I got one within the last 48 hours. Yeah. (laughs) How did did James Gilchrist quote at the bottom? Uh, So, you know, it's, uh, it's really easy for me to do because I admire what you guys do so much. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. All right. Um, are you ready for this playtime? All right. I wanted to start in a place of possibility. Okay. And that the first question is basically, what is a dream problem that you would love to solve? Hmm. That's a great question. So while my higher self ruminates on uh, the nature of a dream problem, Mm. uh, I'll begin by saying, that my passion Mm. always starts when I recognize the potential for a true transformation to take place. Okay. 
it might be systemic. It might be on an individual level. It might be both. Hopefully, hopefully both. Both is awesome. Mm. Um, but it's at the beginning of a conversation when I'm learning from someone else what it is that they're challenged, what, what is the challenge that they're currently facing or what their learners are facing, um, and nothing's been decided yet. Mm. So it's kind of like my dream project is the beginning of every project. Every project has the potential, to use your word, the potential to be the dream project. Mm. It all translates down into how much of what we uncovered as a possibility for a solution to emerge and a transfer of knowledge to happen, a skill to get a gap to be closed, finds realization at the end, you know? Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Definitely. I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> one, one of the reasons I think you and I and your team have an affinity is that we approach this art uh, with many of the same beliefs and constructs and, mm. you know, big picture thinking. Yeah. Okay. So if there was some transformation that you would love to get your hands on or be part of, what would it be? So, and it's in that, like, we, we have this going on. We're not sure what it looks like and how its tentacles are out there in the world. But what would the problem be there? Um, so are you asking what problem exists in the world that I would love to solve? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, well, that's interesting my mind tends to run towards the uh, human aspirational evolutionary kind of uh, transformation track. Okay. Um, and I, and so, and since we're dealing in the hypothetical, I'm going to go way out into the hypothetical. Yep. Love it. Yes. Let's uh, do it. My, my hypothetical answer to that question is um, if I could help everyone understand the importance of their own dream, desire, reason for being, and the role it would play in transforming their world, were they to embrace it and embody it fully, that would be, I just like, I'm out. I, okay, I've done it. <laughs> I've, done, yes. I've done the most important thing that anyone could possibly do, you know? Yeah. Um, on a more practical level, uh, I've always had an affinity for science and technology and especially space. Um, where the two meet uh, okay. in a very practical way. Uh, space exploration is something that uh, I think if I'd had the math skills, it would have been an amazing journey to go on, find myself yeah. in a control room somewhere, uh, you know, figuring out how to turn the spaceship to take a picture of something that no one's ever seen and send it back to Earth, you know. Yeah. Okay, I love this. This is going to work. I want to use this as a case study to walk through some kind of experiments together. Okay. And almost like role model, like just bounce ideas and possibilities so that we can inspire people. Um, and let's go, I'm going to, I'll kind of um, contain it to like an organization has said to you, we love our people. We see the, appreci we appreciate, um, investing in them james because we want them as the human being to be the best version of their self because if they're the best version of themselves we know that they'll do their role brilliant we know that they'll be great team members 
we know that they'll contribute to our ROI. So right now we actually just want to play to the each individual in our organization, maybe help them find that ikigai, their why, whatever it is that helps them show up as their best self. So the ripple effect happens. And we know then the impact that will have on them as a family member, as a friend and all of humanity. So that's all we've got in mind, James. Okay. That's a, that's a small thing. No, um, <laughs> you I, can do I, it. <laughs> I have, I have one question for you. Kim. Yeah. Are they go hiring? For it. <laughs> Are yes. They hiring? We're hiring you right now. <laughs> all right. I'm on board. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, you have your dream team, right? You're, you've been brought on as the person to lead the dream team, whatever skill set you need. They're your problem solvers. How might you start approaching this problem? Well, you know, it's interesting. This is the second podcast I've been on today. And okay. uh, this question of um, understanding how to start is, uh, it's a great question. And it was something that came up on uh, earlier today. So that's why it's in top of mind. Yeah, cool. And I, th and I think you'd agree that sometimes the best place to start is at the end and certainly with the end user right mm. um i feel like you and i and best bell vista studios share uh share a lot of things as i've already said a lot of ideas um and one of the things that i'm always impressed about with the content that you share is that you are always taking an approach that is opposite to the content first you are mm. always from the reception of the information and the person experiencing the learning first mm. very human centric right um i think that's language i've seen on your on your posts and so for me in your scenario i feel like the most important thing is to begin by talking to the people that you care so much about and that you want to help and that you want in turn to then you know reap the reap all the benefits of this project we're beginning to mm. do right there's no point in beginning this process if the motivation for it and the goals for it aren't coming from those who are going to be benefiting directly from it right love that yeah yeah and if i have that dream team then they yep. are undoubtedly uh the equivalent of a cross-section a slice if you will of mm. the rest of my organization right if i'm actually an organization that promotes all of those qualities and has those aspirations and wants to give all of that back to its employees, as you said, then it's safe to say that I have people working for me in this room and outside this room that are all highly motivated and engaged. So mm -hmm. leverage that, take advantage of that, talk to them, hear their answers. I think I said this earlier today too. It's important to bring those, it's important to bring people into a room that are closest to the ground closest to the end result closest to mm. experiencing your your solution but it's also really important that you actually listen to what they say right yeah bring, bring them in the room and really listen figure out how much of what they have to say and what their experience is going to impact and should drive your decision making process going forward so you tell me did that feel like an answer to that question yeah i have a follow-up now i awesome. want to know they're in your room. What questions are you asking them? So uh, personally, mm. um, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is um, 
I recognize that people in a room being asked questions in front of their peers are likely to experience all kinds of emotions and feelings about that that go far beyond the scope of the question, right? So human-centric, mm -hmm. again, that's where, that's where I'm at. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk to them about is are their aspirations, right? Forget the job. Forget what mm -hmm. you do here. Forget what you do today. Let's, let's assume you're already doing the thing that's most magical to you. And now let's add to that the possibility that you could also be doing anything you want. What would it be? Find out where their heads are at. Where are they? Where does their imagination take them when they are given free reign, right? Um, there's a time for putting questions into, uh, into parameters, right? Mm. It's like what happens when you set out to tell a long story and when you set out to tell a short story? right you have an artificial limitation of three pages for example that is obviously going to be very powerful and effective and it's going to cause a result that differs from the long the long answer the long story uh, i'm a songwriter so okay. songwriting is a very short form you have to be very good at figuring out how to make a big impact in a limited amount of space but one of the joys and freedoms of that process is it unlocks stuff that don't, don't, don't get unlocked when you find yourself with, you know, sort of unlimited room, right? So I ask people the question that leads them to share their aspirations, where they can, where they might see themselves, what else they might be doing. And then once they've all loosened up, given that sort of freedom, yeah. and given that sort of freedom, um, I try to zero in on the why. So what is it about that thing that you've just said is your dream or what you'd love to be doing that is inspirational, captivates you, gets you passionate? What's the thing about that process that really gets you out of bed or would in the morning? That in turn can lead to a conversation about what they're doing now and what it is about what they're doing that resonates or aligns with that, okay? Mm -hmm. If you can identify what it is that you like, you can also very quickly identify what you don't like. And as soon as we have that contrast, we're off and running. We've got something to work with. And I have to say, I just so love this question and I've never answered it before, but it felt great to be sort of ruminating on that and mm. putting myself in that real hypothetical situation. I can see the room. This, yeah, like so can I actually. <laughs> um. Okay, so what you that's the I love that and that feels right and I have seen that play out for myself in the past effectively when I've done it with um like on projects but also personally and it's like like speak to the I'll just summarize it quickly summarize or oh, sorry speak to the end user speak to them as the human mm -hmm. and then and it's also like they're the people that are going to be impacted by whatever you create so that's who you're choosing to get in that room or have a conversation with you also went to future state so first of all you said don't don't tell me about now tell me about future and you used language that opened up that thinking because I think it is quite hard for people to get from oh, I've just rushed from this thing and now I'm here and now you're expecting me to do this and I'm not in the right frame of mind and I can't do that but you used words like imagination aspiration passion and I as soon as you kind of started doing that yeah I was like experienced the opening of like oh yeah what's mine and then um I love how you said okay and what is it about now like the why 
so that you could link. You basically made your current state to future state link. And now you almost like on a very shortcutted um, pathway, you basically have the learner journey, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Was there, if there was, so that's in the room and you did talk about like how the group might show up. Would there be any questions that you might, that, that room experience and group experience has happened. You found out that information now that we're, cause you're kind of experiencing it yourself now in your, in your land. Um, do you feel now that you might want to follow up individually one-on-one -on -one, and what questions might you have revealed themselves to be asked now? Yes. Um, again, great use of the uh, interview question to unpack the reality, right? We've, we're, we're talking about a hypothetical, but we are personifying it as re in as real a way as we can, right? Mm. Um, as an actor, um, behaving realistically in imaginary circumstances is something that's near and dear to my heart. And it helps me to place myself in uh, and immediately start feeling the reality of a hypothetical, right? So as I mentioned, when I started to answer the previous question that I knew by placing myself realistically in this hypothetical scenario, that I it wasn't enough to focus only on my question. It was, I had to think about the person and person's to whom it was being asked. And not only yes. that, but their actual circumstances, which is, is they're at their job, they're in front of other people, they're in front of me, and you know, and they don't know what to expect. So I take all of that into account. And absolutely, I know that no matter what wonderful conversation might come out collectively, or not, as a result of my best efforts, hmm. there are going to be those who are holding something back. They're holding something back because as this is a new situation. They are understandably mentally testing the waters. So much about expansiveness is related to a feeling of safety, is mm -hmm. related to a feeling of the ground being solid under your feet and certainly in trust, right? I can think of a lot of examples where I've been the person in the room in front of my peers being spoken to by someone in charge who that had mm -hmm. an idea and a vision and wanted everyone to embrace it. And although I happen to be someone who uh, tends to rush in where angels fear to tread, <laughs> uh, I've no, I've had lots of conversations with people after the fact outside the room who've told me what they didn't want to share or how they felt about that experience. So I have learned that absolutely it is vital to follow up with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If what you expect to be putting into your, uh, what do I know bank uh, is in any way going to be accurate, right? Mm. You've got to, it's like the inner and the outer, right? The in the room and out of the room, the, the in the group think and uh, individual think, you know? Yeah, that's cool. I love, one thing I'll point out is that like stepping into their shoes, um, which you're describing when you're saying like, I'm an actor, that's what I do. And I know like for me, I'm, I do kind of visualize um, and sort of pretend like I'm in that room. Hannah, for example, she'll watch videos like on YouTube. Like if the organization has um, like 
meet our employees and get to know our apprentices, she watches those videos. So she's hearing from them because sometimes we don't always have access to the people we're designing for. Um, and yeah. And like what I love about what you're saying there is, is so many transferable skills. You're there like uh, talking to someone, but you're also facilitating and you're then doing an empathy map, like you're empathizing with them and people can go off and watch other videos on, on our YouTube around that. But um, what I essentially want to pull out of what you're saying is you're basically saying what fears might this person have? What questions might they have? And what uh, state do I want them to be in upon might they currently be in? But what space do I want them to be in so that they give me the best out of that situation? And I think that's brilliant. And I know that I benefit from that myself. And it it benefits from, you know, like uh, you, you're facilitating a workshop. So you prepare for the p attendees coming in. You need to write an email and get someone to take an action upon receiving that email. You need to ask for annual leave at a busy time when everyone else is looking for leave at the same time. So I feel like that little strategy is so effective. Um, cool. Okay. What did I, hold on. Now my head's like, I'm like, wait. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, let's go to I feel like well hold on yeah we've done a we're kind of in the analysis phase right and I feel like they're sort of beautiful seeking to understand curiosity understanding the true problem they came to us wanting this about our people we're trying to judge like is that actually going to happen how are our employees do they even trust us are they a bit suspicious around why the fuck do they care about wanting to get us as a best human sort of thing so let's pretend all of that's done and we're in a beautiful space of let's go to solution mode right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let's just again possibility where we know that these people are welcome and willing these employees are welcome and willing to and they're so motivated to be the best version of themselves. They love the organization. They want to just show up. They see it. They're embracing it. And now it's like, okay, well, what are we creating in terms of the learning experience? Okay. Mm -hmm. So back to you as the lead with your dream team. Any um, activities where you're at? What are you thinking next steps? Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if my thoughts are coming up in a linear order, but there's that's okay. definitely the first thing that comes into my mind is recognizing that the work that we do as learning experience developers, uh, sources of collective transformation, upskilling, et cetera, mm. um, ha we, we bring with us a whole lot of a, lo a long laundry list of ways in which we can tackle a problem, right? Because mm -hmm. we've tackled lots of problems before. And if we're good at our job, we've often not tackled any problem quite the same way twice, right? Because ultimately, the solution is driven by this very specific matter at hand. That being said, I also recognize that no matter what capacity I'm acting in as this hypothetical leader of learning, 
learning is happening all the time. If I wasn't here, people within the organization who are motivated to do so would be finding ways to bring about that transformation on their own. Mm. And in many cases, they would be doing it in the most natural way possible, which would be perhaps discovering by virtue of working closely with someone who does something that they don't or does what they do, but does it differently, begin a conversation and they ask questions and they are allowing themselves to absorb actual real world practical how I am my best self kind of information from the person next to them or from the person mm -hmm. that, they, that works above them or the person that works in the Philippines, you know, uh, that, that they are winding up on a weekly call with, you know, natural curiosity, natural proclivities to further our own skill set to improve ourselves and become better, uh, lend themselves to, you know, it's like, uh, it's like that quote from Jurassic Park, right? Like life finds a way. Well, <laughs> curiosity, curiosity and the desire to learn are two of the most primal forces that we have as human beings and it, they find a way. So mm -hmm. that being said, the next thing I'm going to do is again, with my dream team, talk about ways in which in the current state, individuals have found themselves accomplishing on a small or large scale, the very thing we are setting out to do for everyone deliberately. What mm -hmm. is it that works? What have you done? Who, where has this learning come from? Where's the knowledge come from? After that happened, where did you go? What was your first impulse? Did you, are you someone who gravitates towards scrolling through YouTube videos for the next 10 days? Uh, are you someone who immediately goes to your supervisor and says, Hey, Joe over in ops told me about a thing he created that helps him deal with his customers. And I think we should be trying that. Or are you someone who just starts doing it? Right? Are you the, are you the, the, uh, the, the, the high performer who regardless of what structure you've been put in or what box you've been put in or what rules or responsibilities, et cetera, you've been assigned. If you discover a better way to do the thing that is the ultimate end goal, you just start doing it. Right? So that's what I want to unpack next. Why not only is it going to be a good source of probably reliable information, but it's going to provide us with some models, things that we can emulate, things that we can replicate, things that we can try to maximize with the least amount of effort because it's already there, right? What's already working is already there. So let's leverage that, right? I'm always interested in, first of all, like life is a journey. Wonderful. I love, I love going on that journey. Mm. It's not about necessarily getting somewhere. It's about how you get there. But when it comes to helping people transform, for me, what's really important is understanding how they want to be transformed and then making sure that whatever it is I'm involved in is actually getting them there. It's not just a certificate that they hang on their desk. It's not just some experience that they had last year that we've never repeated. It's, you know, it, it's got to translate into something that feels like forward momentum and mm. actionable Intel, if you will. So this that's is a, cool. I'm going to stop myself. Cause like, again, my, my, my freight train, no, we'll keep go, going. Go. This is good. I want to play in this space and I actually have some stimulus as well to keep this going. So if you've got more, okay. All right. continue well, with the momentum. I will, I will advance our hypothetical scenario to yep. the point where we have discovered a couple of specific examples. 
Okay. okay. Some of them I just sort of rattled off because they, I was reminded of things that I've actually encountered and experienced. Yeah. Right. Um, but let's say we've unpacked a variety of examples. One involved, uh, another employee being generous enough to just spend time out of their own day and walk their counterpart through something that they didn't know how to do. Right. Very generous. Um, I'm sure they're, I'm sure because of who you are, that your organization is filled with very altruistic learners who are constantly helping each other learn things, right? So you're not just teaching your clients, but you're always teaching each other, right? Because mm. a rising tide lifts all boats, that sort of thing. Um, so there are going to be people in the organization who just do that because that's their natural proclivities. They, mm. they enjoy helping other people. Um, so we're going to ask that person who, you know, was brave enough to volunteer that they'd had this experience. And we're going to dive into that a little bit. And we're going to find out what it was that the other person did that actually what made the biggest difference. Like what was the, what made the aha light bulb go on. Right. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about ways in which what happened next was facilitated by elements within the organization. Right. And where did they get a roadblock? Like where did, like, they could very easily have been in the situation where they were like, uh, okay, I'm going to sidestep for a second and give mm. a background. This is a short story about something that happened to me in my very first job. So okay. I'm 16. I don't have a car. Last year. Okay, cool. It's fresh right, on right. your memory. Don't have a car yet. Yep. Don't have a car yet. <laughs> um, I live a mile away from a restaurant, so I know I can walk there to go to work. So I go there and I get a job and my job is to be a server and a busboy at like a catering restaurant, catering okay. style restaurant. So they have all kinds of large banquet rooms and outdoor spaces where they have weddings, receptions and parties and that sort of thing. Mm. And interestingly, this restaurant is laid out in such a way that there are these long hallways that parallel the side of a, a room. Okay. They go nowhere except to the kitchen. So they are not doors through which guests go. They are right. ways through which your servers sort of enter and leave the room. As I am learning the job, I am told, not by a trainer, but by the other bus people that I'm working with, that typically when it's time to clear a room of a certain course or a certain type of dishware or glassware, what you do is you go into the room with a big tray and you pick up all of that type of item from a table, load mm. up the tray, and then you carry it back to the kitchen where you are then having to unload the tray by putting utensils, by glasses and plates and stuff into these overhead racks. Okay. Now I began this example by saying of a certain type, but in reality, you were often clearing champagne glasses, water glasses, tumblers, plus uh, small plates, large plates, etc. So what happens is you load up your tray and you go back into the kitchen where you find 10 other people who have all just come out of all of their rooms carrying <laughs> all of these mixed glasses and they set their tray down and then they run back and forth going from bin to bin trying to put all of the champagne flutes in this rack, all of the tumblers in this rack and then the dishwashers take those racks and they put them through the dishwasher and they have to mm. be all the same because when it comes time to put those dishes out again, 
they get carried in those racks right out to the mm. room where they get unloaded, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so long time to tell this scenario, but here's the key. I spent two or three afternoons in this pell-mell back and forth experience repeatedly with all these other people jockeying for position, noting how long it took me to unload my tray because <laughs> I couldn't take the glasses off and put them where I needed them to go because there was someone else in my way. So my brain said, we have all of these empty racks into which we are putting the glasses. We have this hallway with tables right outside the room where we are exiting with our glasses before we make the long journey to the kitchen. Wouldn't it be faster all by myself alone, standing in the hallway next to these racks to unload my tray? And then when the racks are full, they can get brought straight to the dishwasher. So we've avoided the congestion that's happening mm -hmm. in the kitchen. We've avoided the risk of the glasses falling, right? Because you're running back to a room with all these <laughs> different sized glasses. They don't want to stay. They want to knock into each other and fall off, right? And there's the confusion, right? Of having to stand and wait for six other people to get out of your way so you can do what you need to do. So I started doing it. I talked to somebody else. We brought our racks into that hallway and we started doing this. Um, and it was very effective. Mm. And that lasted for about two days until the owner of the restaurant came in and saw what was happening. He saw these racks of glasses in hallways that no customer could ever see and objected to the fact that we weren't doing it the way it had always been done. Mm. And it seemed like his objection was the fact that the glasses were in the racks in the hallways. But he didn't ask why this was being done. He didn't ask anyone, what problem is this solving? He didn't ask anyone if they dropped fewer glasses. Mm -hmm. It was simply that he observed something that was not what he expected and immediately put a stop to it. But that's how my mind has always worked. I walk mm -hmm. into a situation and I experience it for myself and I observe what it is that isn't working and could be done differently. And my inclination is to immediately put it into action. Which is mm -hmm. why I began by saying, you're going to have those people that just walk into whatever the scenario yeah. is and they solve the problem on their own. Yeah. So what I want to do always is make sure that I'm tapping into those people, those ways of thinking, new ways of thinking, and make sure that I'm making that information available to everyone so as to improve, if make things more efficient, solve problems that I don't even know exist, right? Yeah. Your best resource are those people. Um, so to get back to the, so how do we, what do we do next? So you've got the person who was being trained by the guy next to them. And we asked them, what about that worked? What about it didn't? We talked to the people that have been reticent to put their solution into play. And we talked to those people, the high performers who are already putting the solutions into play. And we are going to take all of that information and use that upon which to base our way forward. And we're mm -hmm. going to prioritize the biggest obstacles that we see in existence and focus on those first to see if our way of coming up with this approach is going to be effective, right? Because why go all the way down a street <laughs> only to discover it dead ends, right? Go down a long street, I should say. Why go down, why go down Broadway from, you know, 
125th all the way to the Bowery only <laughs> to discover that there's a garbage truck parked across the road and you can't get into Battery Park, you know, what have you. So, <laughs> this sounds very raw. <laughs> well, I played I played a lot of music in New York City and I did my share of outdoor festivals. And when you're driving on your way to a gig and you oh, yeah. have to set up to play and there's a garbage truck blocking the only entrance, yeah, it tends to leave <laughs> a mark. <laughs> Be that as it may, I think I think you get where I'm going, and I'm I apologize yeah. for my long detour down the dishwasher lane, but it's it's the kind of example that just shows how easily it is for those who are far removed from an actual problem to have no idea that the problem even exists, mm -hmm. and if you don't take it upon yourself to talk to the people who are closest to the process, then you will never solve those problems, right? Yeah. It's true. And it's also like what I've learned is it, wherever the stat comes from or whatever, but on a very general level, you have 30% of an organization are like you. They are self-motivated. They are proactive. They are that kind of high contributor. Mm -hmm. So if 30% are there, what you're saying is tap into them, leverage them. They're yes. already there. Which is amazing because then you don't need to do anything. You just need to like ignite and enable yes. that to happen through tools, um, space, time, connection, whatever that is. And then if 30% are, we'll call them disengaged, mm -hmm. um, you don't worry about them. But so all then that we're stepping in to do is support the 30% in the middle that can be swayed by either the James of the organization or mm -hmm. the disengaged and it's like what now can we use to get them so that 60 percent of our people are where we want them to be um I've, did you I've want heard, to comment on that or yeah I've, yeah I've heard that statistic um on the one hand I'm always amazed that the number of high performers is you know can be high uh that's mm. a good indication of the overall health of the organization Mm, true. Um, because as we mentioned earlier, um, you have those who would take it upon themselves to take actions that you would associate with a high performer, but then didn't because of an obstacle, right? Yeah. My personal feeling is that many people beyond those that we identify as a high performer are actually high performers in hiding, right? They're high performers who've been shut down. They're high performers who the very first time they took it upon themselves to solve a systemic problem, like how to take glasses out of a ballroom were shut down with no questions asked as to yep. what it was that the, what the hell did they think they were doing? Pardon my Exactly. Friend. Right. So I personally think that it, so important to an effort, like the one we are hypothetically going through this exercise <laughs> um, is recognizing that it has to begin with recognizing and identifying the nature of the culture as it stands, mm -hmm. right? Do you feel, do you get the sense that you have an organization that could be possessed of perhaps 50% high performers, but 20% of them are feeling blocked? Mm -hmm. Or are you, and to your point, you said earlier, you've got these people in a room and you've told them, this is what we want to give everyone. Well, you've got the skeptics, right? Yeah. How many, yeah. How many skeptics do you have? How many silent skeptics do you have versus how many vocal skeptics do you have, right? And then the 30%, I, I definitely understand the logic that goes behind 
recognizing there are going to be those that you can't help because the only way, because they are at a place where the only way they're going to change is if they are personally motivated to change. And so why spend the exponentially extra effort it would be required to solve their problem when you could spend half that much energy and solve the problem for 60%. Mm. Like I, I get that. I get the logic, but by the same token, I've already talked about the importance of the culture, the importance of the overall attitude um, yep. and the feeling of being supported. And I would say that the 30% of people that are active resistors, if you look at the, if you look at them, you will discover the reason for 15% of them right? Mm -hmm. You'll never know the answer for everybody. But I say, look at the people that seem to be active resistors, because they are the ones that will allow you to really lift up the manhole and find out what's going on downstairs, like what is at the heart of our organizational, you know, matrix, what is here's, here's what we tell everybody. This is what we're telling everybody. This is the kind of organization we are. But what is it our own employees are telling us? Ultimately, yeah. that's the real measure. You know, you can't even yeah. begin to, you can't even begin to measure the your your journey as an organization if you've never lifted a few manhole covers. So I'm I just say yes, absolutely. Focus your attention where you think it's going to be. You're going to get the most bang for your buck, but don't miss the opportunity mm. to uncover some things that you probably need to. Yeah, and I appreciate that like how you've explained that because even when I was listening to your um the story of your your first job yeah. what I think about is you had someone so willing and sometimes we sit in our roles trying to solve a problem and understand it and we're like us we're different from them and they're an employee and we're looking for the high performer and what do they look like and they're this perfect human and they look like this and we kind of categorize people but a lot of the time, well, now I feel, because we've got two of us right here. So like, hello, we're at a hundred percent. But it's like, a lot of people in our role are like, of course I would do that. Of course, if, if I was in this situation, I want to help my colleague. I'd want to do this. I'd want to, um, it just seems so easy. Why isn't everyone else doing that? So if you're even thinking that, it's that thinking that helps you empathize, like you said earlier, around like they're out there as well. So don't think of it as an us and them. And then right. it's also the people where you're saying they're a bit resistant and like what's down in that dark murky. And I don't want to like label and make them evil versus good kind of thing, but it's just more, um, more, more places to be curiosity. But for that, what I'd encourage people and also for myself is what is a thing that I hate? What is a thing that I resist? And what would, going back to what you said earlier, what's my future? What would make me care? Why would I change? Why would I be motivated to care about this so that you can get out of your head in what you're constructing to be able to kind of, I feel like the uh, the visual that's coming up for me is like, if you're like, I can't remember what they call it, uh, like where you have the, like, you're looking for gold or like opals or something and you're like, shaking the sand and then the gold like comes up through the little thing and then you're like I've got right. it I feel like that's what we're role is to do is yes sifting. yeah yes yes yeah. that's what I feel summarizes that aspect of this conversation yeah I um, like that. And, and I would say to your quickly to your topic mm. of your notion of like you know categorizing people um 
I would say to anyone watching this, the idea that you're categorizing, categorizing high performers, people who could be high performers and people who are resistors, um, it, that, that is, that is kind of a dangerous presupposition to make. Okay. Um, it what is, a, it's an, it makes it for, it makes it easy to talk about for which group you think an approach or something that's already happening is relevant, but it does leave you with this assumption, this presupposition as to how long someone will be a resistor, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is you could find a resistor is resistant because of one thing. And it's a thing that is actually causing problems throughout your organization. It might be how managers have been allowed to talk to their people, right? Mm -hmm. It could be anything, but those people who are willing to demonstrate through their behavior and their resistance that there is something wrong, they have integrity. They have a quality that is exceedingly valuable in that if you can get their trust, if you can establish trust and you can learn more about what it is that caused them to be a resistor, mm. you have the largest gains potentially, right? I mean, we've already said high performers, the reason, one of the reasons we call them high performers is because they manage to get the job done well, no matter how many obstacles you put in their way. But <laughs> hey, guys, wouldn't it make a hell of a lot more sense to put fewer obstacles in the way, you know, mm. or identify what's causing them to need to be heroes, heroes, right? And this comes back to storytelling, mm. right? We, it's an interesting aspect of corporate culture where we put in hypothetically again, where organizations can read, happily acknowledge heroes, bring their names up in a large meeting identify mm. them as people who helped get a project to the finish line, give them accolades, et cetera, et cetera. While at the same time saying in general communications that we don't want our employees to have to be heroes. We don't want you to have to go above and beyond what is expected of you mm. just to do the thing we've told you you have to do, right? But how often do organizations have that dual message? How often do we find that happening? Mm. Often often right we find it often and the reason is the reason that it happens often is because we know what we should be doing so we're happy to say it but we also understand that solving the problem so that we can say it truthfully revolve involves a lot of work mm -hmm. and we may not even know how to get that work done and so therefore you know boom there's your split yeah. and in some cases heroes become resistors why because they got tired of killing themselves to do the thing that as far as they understood it was their job only to be only ever given a pat on the back and not have any of the obstacles ever removed. And after a while, you're like, I do not physically have the wherewithal to do this anymore. I can no longer be the hero. I am throwing down my sword and shield and I am taking off my sandals and I am retreating to the back of the line. You know, mm. I, my days of being a hero are over. So, yeah. All right. This is, yeah, this is uh, 
stimulating new perspectives for me. So thank you what you're sharing so far. I appreciate hearing sure. hearing it from a different lens and how you're describing things is good. So thank you for, for my learning experience. Um, I want to do rapid fire, right? Okay. And continuing on with this project, because now you've started to be, bring in, I want to, you've talking about the hero and things like that. So I want to think about, I want to give you tangible uh, stimulus and okay. you just tell me what comes up for this problem that we're trying to solve. So still creating this solution. Um, how might we use imagery or metaphors to create long-term behavior change for this project that we're working on? Um imagery and metaphors can serve uh, a very useful purpose in that by telling a story to, that many in the organization can relate to regardless of their role they can see their way to changing their behavior or their position in the story to accomplish what they need to accomplish cool um so, time. interesting how might we incorporate um, songwriting techniques into solving this problem? So as a songwriter, first and foremost, I believe the intent is to evoke uh, a response. You want someone to experience an emotion, might be, it might come from a place that they don't even know where from, uh, where it originates. Um, it might evoke a memory, um, which then leads to an emotion. But you see, emotion, 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 right? Mm. Um, songwriting can make you think, but ultimately, the best songs make you think because of how they made you feel, mm. right? I recently posted something on LinkedIn about the difference between motivation and inspiration, right? Okay. Inspiration is something that comes from without, but because it resonates with something within. Okay, so we, we inspire ourselves by being reminded of something that we care about through the mm -hmm. telling of someone else. Whereas motivation is something that comes only from without, right? If, if you are trying to motivate someone, you try to come up with what you can say to encourage them to do what you need them to do but you aren't relying on inspiration to help make them do it that much more efficiently and effectively and with a happy heart, right? Mm. So, so it's important when you're thinking about what you need to accomplish to remember that to inspire, you have to give someone something that relate that is relatable. Like it has to mean something to them so that they can motivate themselves to <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so songwriting requires you to distill something down into its purest form. A learning solution should ultimately be able to be distilled down into the, the simplest problem that is being solved, right? If you have a solution that's intended to solve 10 different problems, the odds are it's not going to solve any of them very well. Mm. The best solutions are very targeted and they require you to understand what it is that needs to change before you even start building it. So songwriting is a distillation and it results in an evocative situation, a circumstance. If you can create a learning solution that combines a distillation of a solution combined with inspiration 
to take it upon themselves to have their behavior changed as a result of taking the learning or inculcating that learning, then that it's like mic drop. Okay. That's it. That's what we, that's what we're here for. Wow. Okay. That answer was so powerful that I actually want to end my questions there because I want that lasting impact to leave the listener um, to go do something with it, like to incubate on that particular answer. If they, yeah, that was really cool. I've never thought it. Well, I don't I have that. I don't have that knowledge of songwriting, but the way that you describe that, I'm just, you have inspired Yay. out there for the inspiration. I've made the link that is within me to now go execute. So thank you for that. Wow. James, this has been fabulous. I am very grateful to get to learn from you today. Um, I appreciate all of the ideas. I appreciate you experimenting and going with this kind of little uh, experience that I created because I wanted to be able to extract as much from you in this time. And you really demonstrated um, the, the way that your mind works, the approaches, the tools, the type of problem solver that you are. And I think you've really demonstrated and showcased the type of work that you produce. So I think that's really like, uh, what is it? Like that access to be able to see someone do that, walk through it in that way is just so valuable. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for the question and the scenario. I thought that was exciting. It was like speed dating with my own. <laughs> so that was, that was awesome. Um, on my LinkedIn profile, it says people first, tools second. And that's, I think, something that we can both walk away from this conversation, recognizing has an enormous value and is the easiest thing you can drop in someone's mind who is looking to get into what learning and development is really all about. So connect with me wow. on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, the link will be in the description so you can get onto James and follow him. He shares a lot, a lot, a lot of things and you'll just get further learning and compound your learning like he does. So thank you for choosing to learn with us, James. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Kim. My best to everyone at Bell Vista Studios. May we thank meet you. again. Yeah, I'll pass on the love. Okay. What's up, awesome human? Thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of myself and the Bell Vista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us. Basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Bell Vista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers. And what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz could I be a better instructional designer that has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating and the problems you want to solve. But in there as well, aren't we cute? That's us. Um, but we've got the coaching courses, freebies, give us gratitude, and also we've got some templates. And basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design, instructional design, and e-learning. So a human-centered design focus is very 
much what we're about at Bell Vista Studio. So putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs. So there's the human centered design stuff. And then we've also got the business stuff. So this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world. So go check it out. The link is in the description. You can check out everything that is available for you. Thank you for choosing to learn with us. Continuously invest in your skills. You will be rewarded as an instructional designer. Share this stuff, share it with other people because when we are better instructional designers, we create better solutions that create better humans, that create a better world. So we have a very important role and I'm excited to be on this journey with you. Have an awesome day.